We are continuing our sermon series on Ephesians, Christ the Center. Um, so we're going through major topics of Christ the Center of... Uh, last week we did identity. This week we did humanity. Um, we'll also do personal conduct, per, um, relationships, uh, the unseen spiritual world. So it's... Um, it's an exciting sermon series, and I was encouraging everybody to read through Ephesians. Um, every chapter, you know, takes about, uh, I timed myself, about three and a half minutes, four minutes if you read it out loud. Um, and if you read the whole chapter, you can do it in less than uh, 30 minutes. It's a real great time to meditate and see what the Lord has to say. Um, but I want to invite um, two people up. Uh, Barry Wong is our speaker, and... Um, woohoo! And um, a couple of months ago, I had a, a string of um, his small group members tap me on the sol shoulder and say, um, you should really consider having Barry um, teach and preach because he's just filling us up like every week, week and, and literally like a string of people. And so I was like, okay, yes, we'll, 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 we'll do it. Um, but, uh, but I wanted to ask Brenda, my, my partner in Ohana Group Leadership, to help introduce because she's known Barry and his wife for so much longer than I have. Hello, everybody. It is my great privilege to introduce Pastor Barry Wong. We've known each other for over 30 years. We started when we were about three um, and we worked together in the San Francisco Bay Area with InterVarsity and his brother also Brad Wong. So you could imagine InterVarsity would get us all mixed up, B. Wong, B. Wong, B. Wong. They would always think I was related to him and his brother, especially when I moved out here with his brother uh, about 24 years ago. They would think we were related, but we're related in the spirit. So I've known Barry since before he was married. And... Many of you know his wife, Michelle, and daughter, Naomi. Um, he, <laughs> woohoo, <laughs> yeah, Barry's, um, there's so many things I can say about Barry. Oh, there's the family, good-looking family. Um, his wife just got um, her MDiv, and she's preaching at another church today, so that's pretty exciting. Um, and his two daughters are anointed, powerful, passionate people for Jesus, just like their parents, and Barry has served with InterVarsity. Um, we've been on the same team for about 20 years. He served in Canada. He brought his family to French-speaking Canada when they were in their middle years. <laughs> and um, he, he and his wife took a step of faith to obey the Lord to just move out to Hawaii. And I heard that recently, in the last month, he just got hired as a, one of the chaplains for Hospice Hawaii. So... One thing I love about Barry, besides Barry loves Jesus, he preached at many of our university retreats way back then when his brother and I were working together. But recently, last about two years ago, Barry and Michelle preached at our university fall retreat. They brought down the house, the Holy Spirit, and everything. And Barry not only loves to preach about Jesus, he lives it out. And he um, has really been walking by faith. It's different in your older years to just leave everything. When you're young and out of college, you can say, I leave it all for Jesus. You don't really have anything. <laughs> but when you um, have a life and a reputation, he's been a pastor in Washington for eight years. When you just lay it down, sell all your stuff, his family lived with me um, as part of their transition. And he moved here not really knowing what God would do. And he lives out the gospel. So Barry, we're honored to have you preach today. Well, good morning. Whoa. Luke, I'm your father. Oh, okay. So it's a pleasure to be able to be here this morning. And uh, I was going to tell you a little bit about myself, and, and Brenda has mostly done that. Uh, trying, to, trying to live up to the introduction is going to be something. But um, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I, I myself got here in June. So I've been a part of Blue Water now for about nine months. My wife has been here longer than I have. She's been here like 10 months before me. So 
Uh, it's quite the story how we ended up getting here and sort of selling off things and trying to figure out what in the world God is doing. Like, why are we in this place? Uh, what does he have for us here? Uh, I am working at Islands Hospice. So that's the name of the group that I work with and have been a chaplain there for about a month uh, working with dying people. And they don't all die, but, but a lot of them die. And uh, it's a sobering thing uh, to, to be with people at the end of life dealing with the things that, that matter the most. You know, all of, all of our pretensions get stripped away. Uh, all of our... All of our the, the ways that we pretend that we're in control and we decide our lives and all these things, all those things are, are kind of stripped away and we find out who we really are and who God really is. So it's been a privilege for me to be able to do that so far. Uh, I have enjoyed being here at Blue Water. Uh, as TJ said, uh, my wife and I are co-leading a small group Bible study with uh, Nalani and Albert Cook. Uh, in the book of Ephesians. So, uh, pretty exciting stuff. Uh, part of what I've enjoyed about Blue Water is that this is a diverse group of people. Uh, if you look around, uh, you'll note that maybe there's a bit more diversity than average uh, in, 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 terms of, in terms of ethnicity, in terms of age, uh, socioeconomically, and, and I like that. Uh, Another thing that I like about Blue Water is there's an expectation that God is going to do something. And so people have that expectation not just like once or twice a year on special occasions, but that, that something would happen today. And then the third thing I appreciate about Blue Water is, is try. Uh, it's a culture of taking risks of faith. And this morning... I am counting on all of that. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Jesus at the center of humanity, this, this idea that God takes the diverse peoples of the world and forms them into one new humanity. Uh, the expectation that God will do something. Uh, one thing that I've noticed about Blue Water is that during the worship, uh, during the prayer time afterward, there is a high level of expectation that God will show up, that God will do some extraordinary thing because he's present, right? I don't know if we always have that expectation as much during the, during the message time. And the thing that I'm going to ask for is that, we, is that we raise our level of expectation, that, that we believe that God is as much in this place and is intent on speaking to us and touching us through his word as he is during the time of worship, during the time of prayer afterward. Uh, the, the word of God is a powerful thing. Uh, the word of God is alive and sharp and cutting to the dividing of, of soul and spirit of bone and marrow. You know, is, is that your experience of the Word of God? Uh, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is in Isaiah 55, where it says that God sends His Word like rain and snow from heaven, which do not depart from there without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed for the sower and bread for the eater. And I love this image of rain and snow. You know, when rain falls, it waters the earth immediately. It, it soaks into the ground and it causes things to grow. But, you know, I lived in Montreal for three years. And when snow falls, it just sits there. And in Montreal, a place that's really cold, it could sit there for months. And, and it just kind of piles up. And it doesn't seem like it's doing anything. But then at the right time... The, the, the weather begins to, to turn slightly, and just at the right time, the snow begins to melt, and then it waters the earth. And I think 
You know, this kind of messaging on a Sunday morning is a little bit like that. There may be things that get said on a Sunday morning that are just the right thing for that time. The word that you needed here all week, you've been struggling with something, with, with, with loneliness, uh, with a feeling of abandonment, with, with sin in your life, or with brokenness in some relationship. And you come on Sunday and God just speaks right to that. But then there are some Sundays where the person is saying good things, but you just think, what is that? Like, I, I just have no place for that right now. And the thing that I want to tell you is that's okay. It could be like that snow that falls in your life and kind of sits there until the temperature gets warm enough to melt it, right? And then it will do its job. God promises that he, his word will not return to him empty without accomplishing the purposes for which he sent it. So let's, let's count on that this morning. Uh, the last thing is, uh, this, is a, this is a culture of try. It's a culture of taking risks of faith. And after we've talked a bit about Ephesians and, and tried to, to get our minds around some of what God is trying to do uh, in our midst and, and in the whole world, then we, we have to respond to that. We have to, to act on that. And I'm going to ask you to, to take steps. Uh, steps of faith. So with that, uh, I'm going to read from Ephesians 2, 11 through 36. I'm going to read the whole thing, but you'll see in your, in your bulletin, we're just going to focus on three main verses there. Uh, I would love to go verse by verse through this whole thing, but you would probably want to eat lunch and dinner before I was done. So, <laughs> so we're going to save part of it, but, but we're going to focus in on, on those three verses. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, the bad news for those of you who don't have a Bible is I did not like do all of the, that whole passage. I didn't have it printed out in the bulletin, and it's not going to be projected. Uh, you'll get the, the three verses that we're going to look at projected, but uh, this, is a, you know, this is sort of a freebie. We don't charge extra for this one. You, you want to bring a Bible to church in some form. I always used to bring a physical Bible, you know, very 20th century. Uh, you don't have to do that. You can have it in your cell phone or whatever. But, but you really want to have that thing with you, right? Unless you know the whole thing. If, you, if you've memorized it all, then, then this doesn't apply to you. But, but otherwise, you're going to want to have your Bible because you don't know when you might need it. You know, you show up at, at a restaurant after church, and you're beginning to share with the server who seems really interested, and you want to tell them, well, you know, the Bible says, and your mind just kind of goes blank, you know, and you think, well, something like Jesus, so, so having access to the Word of God is a helpful thing. So that's your public service announcement. Ephesians chapter 2, starting verse 11, therefore... Remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles, that is, anybody that's not a Jew, by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world." But now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Just a, a little comment here before I go on. So Paul is kind of doing this before and after thing, right? This B.C., you know, before Christ, and then, and then A.D., you know, what happened in the year of our Lord. So what was your life like before Jesus came along? And then how have things changed now that Jesus has become established in your life. And this is what he says, verse 14. For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, that's Jews and Gentiles, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose 
was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For though, uh, I'm sorry, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, uh, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God, uh, uh, I'm sorry, by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, we offer ourselves to you this morning. Uh, the heart of worship is not just song. It's not just writing a check. The heart of worship is offering ourselves to you as living sacrifices. And so that's what we do this morning. And we pray, Lord, that our, uh, our focus and our affection would be on you, it would be for you, uh, that we would give you undistracted attention. Come and dwell with us, help us to dwell with you and speak in a way that we can, in a way that we can understand, a way that, that we know that it's you. Speak a word of life to us this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if we could have the next slide, that'd be great. Last week, Elijah told us that Ephesians reveals the high-level plan of God. And what is that high-level plan? The uniting of all things in Jesus, whether things in heaven or things on earth. That's Ephesians 1.10. And then he, he went on to talk about Jesus' place in that plan. What is Jesus' place in the plan of God Jesus is at the center. He is the hub at which every part of our lives is to be connected and integrated. And, and he gave us this illustration of a wheel that has spokes, right? And he said that the, the parts of our lives are like the spokes that need to be connected, integrated at the hub so that the wheel functions, and when the different aspects of our lives are anchored in Jesus, our lives stay true and resilient. They can, they can hit bumps, and it's not a problem. The wheel stays round and keeps on rolling. But when our lives are not rooted in Jesus, when, when the spokes are not connected to the hub anymore, our lives become distorted and wobbly, and eventually, they can have what one cycling friend uh, described to me as catastrophic failure. I asked him, what happens if I break a spoke on my bicycle? Can I still ride? And he said, well, it depends on the wheel, how many spokes there are. If there are enough spokes, you can ride for a little bit, but be careful. He said, the wheel has weakened when, when one of the spokes is broken, and if you break suddenly, you could have catastrophic failure. And some of us know what that's like. We know what that's like, not just because of cycling, but because of life. 
We've, we've not had the different aspects of our life rooted in Jesus the center. And when we ran into something or we hit the brake suddenly, the wheel just failed. And the same thing that is true for our individual lives is true for the world as a whole, for all of creation. Jesus is, is the center of God's plan for all of creation. And everything in all of creation was meant to run through him. It was meant to be connected and anchored in him. And when it's not, the wheel becomes weaker and eventually it breaks. I so appreciated Elijah's closing question. Do we really want Jesus at the center? You know, it's church and all, and we all know the right answer, you know, because you're supposed to say yes. But an honest answer might reveal a little bit of reluctance. You know, in those unguarded moments, we're not so sure what it would be like to have everything in our lives connected to Jesus. That might cramp our style. I remember talking to a student years ago. This was at Sonoma State University. This young guy uh, was one of the guys I was kind of reaching out to, trying to invest in and this sort of thing, and, and he knew it. Uh, we were just kind of hanging out together, and, uh, but I'm trying to help him to be a disciple, help him to, to follow Jesus. And in an honest conversation, he said, you know, I greatly appreciate you and, and, I, and, and what you do. And I thought, here it comes, right, the, the big but. Why, why does everyone have a big but? Um, but I just can't, my, I can't see myself being like you. Uh, I could see myself making $100,000, which at that time was more money than it is now. I, I looked online. I found an inflation calculator. It's the equivalent of like $190,000 in 2016 dollars. Okay, so he, he was basically saying, I could imagine myself making lots of money, having a large house, and, and you know, and, and following Jesus in that way somehow. And I said, praise God. I could see that too. You know, if you made $100,000, you could probably give away like, what, $70,000? You don't need $100,000 to live on. He didn't live in Hawaii. Um, you could give away like two-thirds of your income. And with a big house, I mean, just think of all the people that you could help with that. And, you know, I could tell he was beginning to turn a little bit blue. You know, it's like, breathe, breathe, it's okay. But I said, look, seriously, I know that he was thinking, hey, 10% of 100,000 is, is more than 10% of 50,000. So I would be giving more. Um, but, but when we start to realize that Jesus' claim is not on 10%, of your money or of your life. Jesus' claim is on all of it. The whole thing. Jesus is the Lord of the whole thing. And, you know, he graciously lets you live in his house. He lets you drive his car. And, and then when he needs that, he says, oh, by the way, uh, this person needs a hand. I thought that we could use the house for that. Uh, when my young friend realized that being a Christian was maybe not all he thought it was, he slowed down, right? And we still need to ask ourselves this question. As we go through the book of Ephesians, we need to ask ourselves, do we really want Jesus at the center? I, I don't assume that because you're in church on a Sunday morning that the answer to that is automatically yes. You know, a church is a group of people. Uh, and it's a location. It's, it's coming and being together, but it doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. The old saying when I was first a Christian was, you know, being, being a Christian, uh, I'm sorry, being, a, being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in the garage makes you a car. 
So, you know, I'm glad you're here, but you're still deciding, right? You're still deciding, do I want Jesus at the center? Do I, do I want to really be a follower of his? So I told you we're going to look at three verses from this passage. I'll pull in some other things from other parts of the Bible. Let's get to that. If we could have that next slide. Uh, today we're going to look at the place of humanity in God's plan. So we, last week we looked at the place of Jesus in God's plan. The place of Jesus is at the center of God's plan. What is the place of humanity in God's plan? What is God's intention for humanity? Well, in brief, for those of you who have a very short attention span, you can just write this down and be done for the day. God's intention is out of the many and conflicting factions of the human race to form one new humanity with Jesus as the head. Uh, it says in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 15, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So that's the plan for humanity. I don't know if you've watched the news lately. Quite a bit of work left to do on that plan. You would not know that that was the plan by looking at the world. The world is divided and broken in every possible human category, isn't it? It's broken racially. White versus black. Or maybe here in the islands, it's, it's native Hawaiians versus uh, those of us who are non-local. It's economic, right? Rich against poor, the 1%. Uh, it's gender. It's, it's men keeping down women. It's political. It's, it's, it's Democrats against Republicans. Actually, in these days, it's Republicans against Republicans. And Democrats against Democrats. The world has gone insane. Even in our own homes, we see this, this brokenness, don't we? Between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between roommates that are supposed to be friends, but somehow something happens and they're they're not even talking anymore. Sadly, even if you look at the church, it would be hard to know that this is the plan. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. famously said years ago that the most segregated hour uh, was on Sunday morning, right, in church. And uh, a lot has changed since... Martin Luther King, but one thing that hasn't changed that much is that the church is still largely segregated, still largely, it's a little different here in Hawaii, but still, uh, still largely segregated, and yet this is God's intention, to unite us in Jesus, that we would walk together in his authority, empowered by his spirit, and embody his kingship. In short, his plan is that we would bear the image of God to all of creation. When Paul refers to one new humanity out of the two, uh, as I said earlier, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. This was the big ethnic divide of his time. Uh, the people that didn't want to have anything to do with each other. The people that couldn't eat together, the people that couldn't go over to each other's house, the people that really, in many ways, thought of themselves as better than the other. For hundreds of years, there had been this animosity be, uh, between the Jews and, and pretty much everyone else, right? Gentiles is just everyone else. Uh, the, the Greek word for Gentiles is ethnos, or ethnoi, which means Nations, it's the word that we, uh, it's the root that we get our English word uh, ethnic from. Just a description of people. So, the, you know, God made the world and all these peoples, 
And out of the peoples, he selected one nation, this little nation, Israel. And uh, they were different. They had a relationship with God, and no one else did. Now, there were some famous Gentiles, people like uh, Rahab or Ruth or Naaman or maybe some others that you may have heard of if you've uh, been a Bible student before. Uh, people who were Gentiles but turned to worship the one true God. But they were conspicuous for their rareness, right? They were the exception. And there were these prophecies from, from way back that eventually all the nations would, would come and worship the one true God. But the Jews knew that they had been specially chosen by God. They had the law, which told them how to worship and how to live in a way that reflected God's heart. They had the prophets to speak a comforting or corrective word as it was needed. And they had the temple, which was the house of God. So they had the special presence of God in a way that nobody else did. And, you know, when you're special that way, it's hard not to, not to feel special, <laughs> not to think of yourself as maybe a cut above. So they thought of themselves as special. They felt like others weren't. And so there was this separation. The Jews thought of themselves as special and everyone else on the outside and, and, and unclean. And the Gentiles thought of the Jews as peculiar and standoffish, holding to these odd ways and unwilling to fit in. Now, you can imagine how much trouble this created for the early church. How could they worship together? How could they even have a church potluck? Like, you guys are bringing all this food. I can't eat that stuff. You know, I have to eat food that's prepared in a special kitchen. I kosher food. I, I can't have shrimp, I can't have pork, all these things, you know. And so, I can't even come to your house. Uh, they were suspicious of each other's ways and food. And frankly, we still face similar struggles today, don't we? So... Sometimes it's between individuals, you know, it's uh, people have hurt each other and now they don't want to be in the same space. You know, you were dating someone here at the church and then it didn't work out and then you don't want to see them every Sunday and so you just, you know, you try to sit on the opposite side of the gym, but maybe you just pick a whole different church, you know. Uh, maybe you had a bad interaction with some people in church. I'd always heard that this could happen. I'd, I'd never really had that bad of an experience in church until I tried to plant one. I won't go into the gory details, but just let me say they were gory. And things ended with a whole bunch of people pointing at me and saying, you are the problem. You're the reason we can't get ahead. Uh, it was not my favorite day. And because of that, there's this brokenness, right? It's like, what am I going to do if I run into these people? Um, sometimes it's not between individuals. Sometimes it's between people groups who have a difficult history. You know, I mentioned earlier uh, non-locals and, and Native Hawaiians. I don't know if you have looked much at the history of how the U.S. came into possession of Hawaii, but it's not very nice. It's, it's basically completely unjust. They just kind of came in and took it over, uh, violated uh, the sovereignty of the nation and annexed it, and then later made it a state. Uh, you could understand why somebody might have a problem with that. Uh, why they still feel a little bit like, yeah, you're the people who took everything. Don't let us have anything. Uh, 
even in a pretty mixed group like this one. Which, you know, I, I think this group is probably ahead of the curve a little bit. We're at least in the same room, and that's good. Well, no, some people are not in the same room. I could take you to church. It's probably walking distance from here, and people are not in the same room. So, so it, that's a step. But even in a mixed group, uh, isn't there this tendency to kind of self-segregate? And there's no rule. Jordan doesn't say you have to uh, sort of group yourself with people that are more alike. But, you know, the younger single people kind of hang together. Uh, we make sure the kids have their own thing. You know, married people kind of run around, do this thing over here. We, you know, the, the question is not just what happens on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. The, the question is, what is lunch like after? Who do you have lunch with afterward? Who, who comes into your home? You know, who do you do activities with during the week? And, and you know, do we, do we segregate ourselves so that we can have more in common with people? Now, I want to be careful about this because there are legitimate reasons to uh, group in like groups on occasion. Uh, to be able to tackle specific problems in a way that might be harder if the group were completely mixed. You know, if a group of men are uh, going to meet together so that they can talk about their personal issues and struggling with pornography or what have you, that might be nice to just be in a group of just men, you know? Uh, people don't need to have all their business out in mixed company. You know, the, the, the kids might need something that is age appropriate. There are reasons that make sense to, to group people in, in a more concentrated way. But we need to be asking ourselves, do our lives, both inside church and outside of church, reflect the oneness that God desires? Does the life of the church reflect that kind of oneness? We have the next slide there. So, so how does God accomplish this incredible task of, of bringing the different groupings of people, some of them enemies, how does he bring them together and make them one? Uh, when I was young, some of you might remember this, Coca-Cola had this famous commercial uh, uh, where the jingle was, you know, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Does anybody else remember this? You know, I'd, I'd like to give the world a Coke. And, and, and keep it company, because it's the real thing. Um, yeah, if the ministry thing doesn't work out for me, I'm thinking of commercial jingles. But, but you know, it, it was this, these TV commercials with all these different people in the world, different ethnicities and gender, and they're coming together, and they're just kind of drinking a Coke, and it was wonderful. You know, that never happens. How does God bring them, bring us, together? The short answer is the cross. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down, the cross. Uh, Ephesians 2.14 tells us that God breaks down the barrier between us, the dividing wall of hostility. And this, the, the picture of what you have here is a, a picture of the kind of the temple area. Um, the temple in Jesus' day had a literal wall that kind of went around it uh, from which the, the Gentiles could, could view the temple and all the goings on there, but they were not supposed to go any further. Uh, this, this quote down at the bottom of the slide uh, is, a, is, a, is a quote from the signs that were put on this low wall that I've tried to outline in red so you can see it. Uh, they had these signs all over the wall at the different openings that said, no one of another nation is to enter within the fence and enclosure around the temple. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame uh, for that his death ensues. Well, that's friendly. I'm feeling really welcomed here. Um, so, so the Gentiles were able to come up and they could see what the Jews were doing, but they were not allowed past that barrier on penalty of death. So uh, there was this literal, 
wall that, that separated them. But Paul says that there was a figurative wall as well. That the law was being used or misused in the same way to keep the Gentiles out. You know, the intention of the law was to show people the heart of God, to show them the ways of God. And it should have drawn people to God. But the Jews used the law as a way to say, we're, we're special, we're us, and you are definitely not us, you're you. So you stay on that side of the fence. Uh, God had intended the Jewish nation, his people, to be a kind of object lesson to the world. An example to outsiders of what it looked like to know the true God and to worship him and to gain his heart. You know, to learn the things that he cared about. And so, you know, people were supposed to look at the Jews and the way that they worshipped God and the way that they treated one another, the way that they took care of each other, treated each other justly. And they were supposed to say, wow, that's awesome. We want to know your God. But instead... All of those things became markers of, of difference, of being special and keeping other people out. Uh, it was a way of saying, uh, we're the people of God and God loves us and welcomes us, and you are not. You are on the outside. And this is one of the things that God put to death in his own body on the cross. Some of us put a lot of emphasis on the price that Jesus paid for the sins that separate us from God. And Jesus definitely took care of that. He, he did what was necessary to reconcile us back to God. But this passage tells us that on the cross, Jesus not only reconciles us to God, he also does what is necessary to reconcile us to one another. Okay, to allow us to become one family, to become one humanity. But even though the wall is down, many of us just won't mix. Uh, this is true out in the world. Neighborhoods tend to take on a particular character. Uh, here in Hawaii, I think things tend to be a little more mixed racially, but even if you think about how things are socioeconomically, people still end up grouped together by education level, by, by how much money they have, uh, even, even so, so, so therefore their schools are that way, right? Schools tend to be divided up that way. Uh, if you're a parent, you tend to know where the good schools are. And even churches are surprisingly segregated. There's no law that says it has to be like that anymore, but we have enough other structure in place that it's hard to break through. I was telling my small group, there was this experiment I heard about in a psychology class years ago where they had this shark swimming around in a tank. And he's just going around in circles like this, right? And then, this is what psychologists do, they mess with you, right? So they, they, they set down this plexiglass wall into the middle of the pool. And, you know, the shark would swim around and smack into the wall. And, you know, he's not a total idiot, right? So he learns to swim in a smaller circle. And then later, they lifted the plexiglass wall. And what happened? He still swam around in that one half of the pool. He learned not to go over there because that hurts. And some of us are similar to that. We've learned that when... Uh, that when uh, you go over there, bad stuff happens. And so we don't go over there anymore. I need the next slide here, and I'm going to have to pick up the pace. Uh, well, I'd like to, but another time. We'll do it again. What does being united in Jesus look like? Well, one thing it looks like is equality. You know, we... We all have access to God through one spirit. We become one nation. We become one household. We're a, we're a building that's built on one foundation. We become the dwelling of God, right? There's this equality. But it's more than equality. Uh, we become heirs and sharers together uh, and members of one body. That's what this passage in Ephesians 3.6 says. 
And I, specific, I specifically want to spend a little bit of time on this idea of being one body because it implies connection and communication and coordination. Can't have a body without those things. If you get cut off from the body, if your finger gets cut off, what happens? Well, first of all, I can't do anything. But secondly, if it is off the body long enough, it dies and the body is weaker. Uh, there has to be communication. My finger needs to know what my brain is thinking. It needs to be connected by all these nerves and everything else to be able to do what it was intended to do. And there needs to be coordination. My finger uh, needs to be doing, or needs to know what the rest of my body is doing so that it doesn't do dumb stuff, right? <laughs> my, my, my feet are going in one direction, my, my arms are trying to do something different. It doesn't work unless there's coordination. Well, one thing I appreciate about this body uh, imagery is that it means that we are not to become identical. Unity does not mean we all become the same. And in fact, it's essential that you keep some of your distinctives. That's the only way for there to be a body. You know, if you had something that was all one organ, you know, it was all eyes, that is not a body, that's like a monster. You need to have different parts that work together to have a body. And in real life, what that means is that young and old, rich and poor, women and men, single and married, highly educated and less educated, and people of every ethnicity, they're meant to be together. We need each other. And it is in allowing God to bring our differences together that we can reflect the oneness that he desires. Not sameness, oneness. Galatians 3.28 says there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female. We are all one in Christ. Doesn't just mean everybody can be saved. Doesn't just mean that everybody's equal. It means that that we need to be brought together. We need to be one in him. And my question for you this morning is, are you making the effort? You know, if you're older, are you making an effort to reach out to someone that's younger, to maybe take them under your wing, or at least to take them to lunch? You know, if you're married, are you including singles and vice versa? Do we look out for each other across the differences? Uh, in my family, one of the ways that we do this is we try to have uh, we we try to have a range of friends, and this especially shows up on the holidays. We we have all kinds of people uh, in our place at the holidays. Uh, you know, what is your, what do your holidays look like? Who's there? Who's in your house? We've had people come and live with us when they were in a particular time of need. We had a spouse that was. Uh, fearful of, of being beaten, and so came and lived with us for three months. We, we, we had a woman who was, uh, had a one-year-old and was pregnant, and her husband had been deported, and so she became our housemate for a month. Can't do that, or for a year. Can't do that now. And we live in this little cracker box, but, but you know, when we had a house that's big enough, right, are, are we making the effort? Next slide, please. The church is intended to be the fullness of Jesus. God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And part of what we get from that is that this is not in our strength, right? Jesus is the one who fills everything in every way. And he is the head. That doesn't just mean he's in charge. It means he's the source right? Like the head of a river or the head of a trail. It's, it's where everything comes from. That Greek word for head literally, well, it can mean source, and, and Jesus is the source. Next uh, slide, please. In Revelation 7, 9, John has a vision of people from every tongue and tribe and nation worshiping uh, God and honoring the Lamb. And, you know, it's a vision of heaven. But, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, the most commonly prayed prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not just someday, right? We are supposed to be doing God's will on earth now. It's partial. It's not perfect. But, but it is a preview of coming attractions. People should be able to look at us and get a picture of what the heart of God is like, of what God desires in our relationships. Well, I need to wrap here. But my, my question, can we slip, skip to the last slide there? My, my question for you today is this. Just one reflection question. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to take some kind of risk steps of faith to reach across to somebody that's different, to invite them to lunch, to have them in your home, to go to a fun activity together, to find some way to connect? Are you going to take time with a child? Are you going to look out for someone who maybe is in a rough place right now? Or are you going to go talk with your friends immediately after this, find some refreshments, maybe go out for lunch, and forget about everything that we've talked about this morning? How are you going to respond to Jesus this morning? If we could have the worship team come, I'm just going to pray. I want you to take just a moment to sit before him, to allow him to speak, to put something on your heart. Lord, I pray that our answer to you this morning would be yes. Not just a one-word answer, but a whole life answer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.